You want to open up talking about books or writing first? Uh, both. Bitch, you can't do both. You got to choose one. We're talking about both. You got to choose one. Books, because I like books. All right, then. Well, I'm going to tell you. Brother. Brother. I don't remember if last episode I mentioned it. Oh, I did. We opened with me hating that Frolic of the Beast by Yukio Mishima. Yes. I don't remember if I finished it when we you talked were, about that. You were you had like 100 pages left. Well, I finished it, and you know what? I realized why I didn't like it. It turns out it's uh, one of those Japanese no plays. It's a parody on those. Because Yukio Mishima, he was into those weird... They're like fucking... So, I never really understood them, because I'm not Japanese. But like the no N-O-H plays, there's like, you know... And like theater, he was a big fan of them, and he like wrote a book. Of, that's one book of his. I'm not gonna read mm-hmm. is the no plays, but he uh, did a parody of one like a famous play or something. That was the story. That's why it kind of seems so weird. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I wasn't a big fan. I gave it three stars. I was being generous. Uh, the ending was okay. Some of the writing, like I like his writing, but it was felt more generic. But beyond that, fuck that. Fuck that book. Fuck, fuck that, that book. noise. Fuck it in the ground. Ooh. I don't know what that means, but it sounds harsh. I'm sure you saw on the gram I the got gram. that. Finally, I pre-ordered this a long time ago. Yeah, you've been talking about it for a while now. It's been like three or four years since. I think it's been three to five years where I read the article that they're putting all the Elric of Mel Nibine series. Because uh, there's a shitload of those books by Michael Moorcock. They were going to put them in like omnibus series, like, you know, volumes. So you could read all the novels, because I got the first one, the Elric of Molnibane, in that one shitty, like, collection that had, like, five introductions and, like, a short story and a fucked up comic and, like, all this garbage shit. And then, like, the only thing I read out of that was the actual novel. Well, Saga Press finally put out, just, like, the past week or so, the one, the first volume of that that I pre-ordered. And since I already read the first novel, I went on to the second one, The Fortress of the Pearl. And it's weird because... Like, the first one, Elric of Manibane, I think that was the first book he wrote. But they put it, which is nice, because, like, there's, like, this thing. is like, oh, what order do you read them in? Because they came out all fucked up. You read them in the order that this uh, these um, volumes come in. And I don't know how many volumes they're going to be. This one has four books in it. So The Fortress of the Pearl, I think, is the fifth book, but you read it second. Like, it, was the se- it goes in, like, if you're going by the timeline-wise. Because I think he just wrote them kind of like how the Conan stories were. Just like, oh, individual fun adventures. But then somebody's like, hey, why don't we put these in, like, an order that you can read and go through the guy's life. And that's, like, a lot easier to do with, like, short stories instead of, like, full novels. Yeah, these are full novels. But what I really enjoy seeing is from the first novel to what was, I don't know how many novels he, other novels he wrote uh, besides these. Because I know he he's a fucking, like... He has, like, a shit, like, probably puts Stephen King to shame yeah, how much one, work he yeah, puts. Yeah, one of those guys. Yeah, on short stories and everything. But just from, like, this series, it was his fifth novel. But the writing, well, I like the writing in the first book, but the writing in this one is, like, brilliant. Yeah. Like, I'm like, holy shit. Like, it just jumps up a level because you figure how much time gap between that first book and whenever he wrote this one and how much he's improved. I'm just, like, in love with the book already. I'm thinking I'm only, like four or five chapters in or something, but it's like, it's fucking awesome. Now, do you worry that when you go to the next book, because it's going to go what back What if I to... go back to, like, the second one and yeah, the quality it, drops? Yeah. It's going to be weird. Uh, uh, Yeah. I mean, like I said, I like I really like the first book, too. Wasn't anything wrong with it. It's just, like, the writing, the metaphors, the details. It's just so much better in this one, uh, just because he improved as a writer between the first book and whenever he wrote the... Fortress of the Pearl, but I just, I really like it, and I'm, like, I'm flying through it, and I'm like, ooh, finally something I can read, and then fucking Ash, being the dick he is, uh, actually, I think it was my idea, but that Oblivion by uh, David Foster Wallace, the short story collection, I think you were here when I cracked it open, and I was like, I don't think I can read this. Yeah, it shows yeah, you how- Yeah, it was, it's like, it. it's not a hardback, it's, it's, a, it's a soft cover, but it's the size of like a hardback. Just to give you a size of what a page is, and like yeah. it was one blocks of, and I don't even think it didn't begin or end on that page. Yeah, I'm gonna. I just want to see if I can find these. Uh, where is it? The the text he sent me because him describing this book, trying to make me want to read it because he he started reading the first story already, and I just don't think it's gonna be good. So you think you're gonna end up bailing on this one too? We're not going to release any episodes until we finished it. 
We're not gonna do the old Jerusalem type of deal. Uh, so you're like you read some, record, read some, record, and then once it's yeah, all done, then start dropping the episodes. I think that's probably what we should do with everything, honestly. But we're fucking, you know how we are. You know, oh, I can't find them. How, how much do you guys text that you can't find? The you know, uh, you sent me a things. couple couple messages. Wait a minute. Here we go. Are you even in the right like app? Was it like was it? DMs just just messenger. Okay, so DMs. here here's like I don't know if this was the first text or not. But he says, "All right, so I don't know that I like it right off the bat, but I am interested. The style feels dry and uninteresting, but I'm wondering if that's the point since it seems this sample tester group is doing something boring and stupid and the story's about a sample tester group for some company." And he said, I said, that does not sound appealing to me. He said, well, you're just going to have to learn to like it. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe unpleasant books will be your new kink. <laughs> and then when we talk about that, ah, there was something else. Because this was like sporadic, how he was just telling me about this. That's like that. You, you're just going to have to learn to like it. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> That's how I, uh, I don't want to feel that way about any book I'm going to read. Okay, so going back, this is like a day or two later after he's, I don't know, I don't think he finished the first story, at least not as the recording of this, but the story's called Mr. Squishy, by the way. I'm very interested in this first story, Mr. Squishy, because of what's going on in the background of the story. Like, the actual noise of the main narrative is mind-numbingly boring, but seeing that something else is going on makes it actually really interesting. And I'm just like... <laughs> and have you, and have that you doesn't even, make me want to read that at all. And have you even started this first... Uh, well, that's what I said. I don't know when I'm going to fucking start it now, because I'm reading something great, and it's like, <laughs> do I want to go read fucking something boring hot dog shit i don't i don't know because i never read david foster wallace but he doesn't sound like he might be mike he seems mm -hmm. too smart so I, I don't know but anyway just the name alone seems very dry it's too much three names is always too much when you're like a writer so if we're talking about writing real quick what book do you want to talk you're almost finished with stardust that's a good yes, book i'm almost finished with stardust um you liking it yeah I, i'm enjoying it i don't know like Cause in the collection of these of these books I got, I think they had some like extra stuff. Like, cause in the Neverwhere book, it had like a uh, a short story that was in like one of his collections that was like set in the universe. So they put it in this one because like so this one has the um, you know, the epilogue, and then there's a postscript, and then there's prequel or pro or prologue. There's like a second prologue to it, and then oh right, oh I'm sorry, like a wall, a short story kind of thing. And then the acknowledgments. Mm. So I, I was wondering, because I, I didn't know what uh, the one that you read, like, did it just end at, at, the, at the epilogue? Mine was just a paperback. I don't remember, honestly. Yeah, I think it probably just ended at the epilogue. I don't, I don't really remember. But it was, it was like a fun fairy tale. I'm oh, not yeah, I'm, tales, I'm, uh, like... I'm definitely enjoying it. I mean, it hasn't what maybe been like a week. Because like, yeah, like, when I was here last week, I was like 30 pages in. Now I have like less than thirty pages to go in finishing it, so yeah, yeah. Those are uh, Neil Gaiman doesn't write bad books. I don't know. I mean, the only things that I wouldn't like about it is like when it would verge off to some other characters, and it wasn't necessarily that they were written poorly or were bad characters or anything. It's just like I didn't give a shit about them. Like I wanted back to like kind of like Lord of the Rings. It's yeah. just uh, I was like I don't I, go to go to the mm. good characters. I don't really care about the side characters so much. Like. Uh yeah, I get that. Yeah, just well, I wanted to go back to the the kid and then the star and 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 yeah. stuff. Some quick writing talk. How's your writing going? Like shit, like dog shit. Yesterday I was able to like squeak out like measly like hundred words or so, but it did finish the chapter. Well, that's good th that I was working on. So yeah, not nowhere near as what like a few weeks ago. Whenever I was actually hot streak. Yeah. But yeah, just just piss poor mm. and no excuse for it. I think I've hit a just a shit on your parade even more. Yeah. I think I've hit a transformative period in my writing journey where I am on. A, I, I think I leveled up. Yeah, because I've have now I'm just writing seven days a week. There you go. And there's no problem with it. Granted, some days it's only like a couple paragraphs, like you know, fucking time and doing dumb shit. And I've been I started playing Chrono Trigger on Super Nintendo, so uh -oh. that's like six hours a night sometimes, like on the weekend. Do but, you, do you farm in that game? No, you know farming, which is very disappointing. People don't know. I'm sure we talked about it a long time ago. I was playing Harvest Moon, and then all it is is farming. It's just a boring farming game, but I loved it because it made me not think about life for a and little like bit. And like an old farming game. Yeah, really old Super Nintendo farming game. But I, um, back to my writing. 
because now, you know, I'm on the novel. I'm still on the fourth chapter, but I'm like 67 pages in. Now, I'm writing this by hand, so I don't know how you give or take how many pages that could be. Like, my penmanship, like, my handwriting's fairly small, but I wouldn't say it's a 12 font, you know? I don't, yeah. I don't, so I don't, I can't judge. But I say at least a solid 50 pages, probably, in, you know, regular, like, on the computer. But anyway, just because it's like long form narration, which I've never had anything longer than maybe a novella sized work, I'm really hitting different strides that I never hit before, like with character development, starting yeah. to think of motivations differently. It's just really changed the way I'm thinking about the story because normally I'm writing short stories. I have to fucking fit everything. And I definitely can say I am more of a novelist. Like that's where my writing should have always just been focused on was writing novels. Because long-form fiction is what I'm best at. I try short stories, and it's just like... You really I like fuck. To, that's why they always go long, because I like to flesh everything out, and I just can't do that with uh, short stories too often. But uh, it's just really interesting, so I think I am uh, excited. I'm very well, excited. I, I, I've i noticed on the story that I'm working on, even though, like um, like I said, I just, uh, I just finished the third chapter. I'm... Closing in on, uh, like four thousand words. Like I'm right around like four thousand words, mm -hmm. but like nothing has really happened yet. Yeah, it's just been all kind of like placement and like character and like setting and things like that. So like I can definitely see this definitely being at like uh, being like a small uh novelette like by itself like you know yeah because normally your work like by four thousand words the story's done yeah it's you've gonna, done it's everything close, yeah so if you're only setting up yeah yeah you have a long ways to go so like i'm thinking something around like um kind of like the uh like the black yeah from paulie cooley like i'm because like i have like some things like set up but like the action stuff like i like i i try to like leave those things until, like, I'm actually writing. Yeah. And try to see, like, I got, like, okay, I know what I kind of want to happen here. And there'll be, like, an explosion or something. And there'll be the bad guys over here. But, like, I try to wait till I actually it, to write till I get to that part. Because mm. I feel like that's where you can kind of, like, let the pantsing, you know, out a little bit more. Yeah. And, like, uh, and for those aspects of the stories, I think, like, that unscripted kind of, like, yeah. you know what I mean? It, it can kind of give it a better feeling. Like, uh, you know, more, like hectic real life feeling well i've already veered very far away from my outline once i bring it back to uh like once i hit the one scenes i'm looking forward to and then the chapters like i am gonna loop it back around i just ended up having a lot more build-up i needed than i initially thought and i even today i came up with a another completely plot changing idea which i really like since i'm writing by hand uh it's finally Broke me of the habit of fixing as I go, mm. editing as I go, going back and rewording and redoing and changing things. I can't do that now. I'm forced to just continue go. the story. And it's just making it flow so much better. And I've just completely accepted that huge hunks of the story might just be dog shit until mm. I, you know, I get past a certain mark. So uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying that, too. Because I've never written like that before where it's just like, hey... This this part is dog shit. Let me just change it and make it better, and then I'll continue. No, now it's just going to stay dog shit until I get mm -hmm. to the rewrites, and then fuck it. By that point, the story will be done. I'll be able to better know where things are going to go. So that's that's fun. Um, yeah, because I know, like, uh, uh, whatever, especially, like, longer things, like, longer works, that, like, the beginning is always but. And as you continue mm. to work, like, it's, like, by the time you get to the end, it's a little bit better and then so you're like oh i know this thing now now i can go and take this and i can plot it and seed it better because now i know yeah when you might not know the ending when you first started you know so now you can set things up and have things actually make sense and not have as many you know blatant plot holes and things like mm. that i've also gotten really good now at just picking up where i left off I mean, that sounds like, oh, you always pick up where you left off. But with writing every day, it's a lot different than, like, say, you know, I wrote 5,000 words and then I waited two weeks to write yeah. another. Like, I could just literally look. I write today. Tomorrow, when I go back, you know, I reread a paragraph or two and I'm just right back in the story. I know how the characters feel. I know the setting. I know, like, I, there's no lapse in any of that stuff. So I could just keep going. I don't, 
it's a better way to flow. Like you don't have to do that fucking. Oh, what the fuck was happening? Where am I? What what was exactly going on? Like, there's no plot holes going to come out of that because you already know you're you're still in the moment. Yeah. You don't lose that. So that's another benefit of just writing every day, which I have not ever done really because I've never stuck with writing every day for months at a time. So once you get past, I say a month of doing it, it's not hard. In fact, because now I'm at the point where it's like if I'm. Even if it's like 10 o'clock at night and I got to go to bed for work, I'm like, I didn't fucking get any writing done today. I got to write at least a sentence. Yeah. At least two. And then that usually goes to another sentence and another sentence. And then I'm like, okay, it's 11 o'clock. I better go to bed. Yeah. But it's just like building up to that point. Because before, like when I first started this then for the new year, you know, I wasn't writing Friday and Saturday, sometimes Sunday. Like I tried to make sure I got five out of seven days. That was my goal. So I did hit that. But Friday and Saturdays, I just didn't do any writing and I was missing a lot. But then, you know, I wanted to up it, and then I did. And then once I stuck with that for long enough, now it's, it's not a problem. So you could do it, Spencer. I believe in you. At least somebody does. Somebody does. Maybe start, like, writing a little bit on your phone. Maybe. Day. Like, maybe just make it a goal. It's like, hey, on lunch, I'm just going to write two sentences, and then, you know, I'll try to write when I go home or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, even if you just got those two sentences, you can knock it off. Hey, I did some writing today. Well, and I, th- and I think also what's harming me, too, is, like, I'm hitting, like, Going on like a a writing spell, I'm hitting like the hottest of hottest like re- uh reading streaks. Yeah, all time like where this is like Stardust here. When I finish this, this will be my my fifth book of the year. Yeah, it's hard to uh ride two streaks at yeah. the same time when one's writing and one's reading. Because usually when I'm writing a lot, my reading takes a nosedive or vice versa. Uh, I have been neck and neck like even lately, which is good. Uh, but it's it's that's tough to keep up because yeah. I've been actually been reading three books at once. But the way I do it is I read like two just parts of like the nonfiction, like you know, read an article. Then I got a poetry book, so I read like three or four yeah. poems. And, and then, then my your your Hemingway's looking a little bit more. Yeah, it's getting girthed up here. Um, again, you know, that's just since that's just articles, I could just read one or two, and then even if I don't read it for a couple of days, I'm not missing anything. No, it's yeah, and you know, like you have to worry like, oh, I forget what forget what's going on. My only stumbling block was that stupid Yuku Amishima book. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Who would have thought? But other than that, I'm good. So. We should probably get to this episode. It's like a 20-minute fucking cold open. Actually, 20 minutes, I feel like we got pretty warm. Yeah. Hot? Well, hot? Luke. Did you say hot? Lukewarm. Luke. No. Um, I'll just say temperate. How about that? Temper- room temp? Room temp? Yeah. Slightly above room temp. Mild grade fever. <laughs> You are listening to the Drunken Ben Redding Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer, the Zimbabwean Zephyr Church. Oh, that wasn't too bad. First try and everything. I almost stumbled. Try saying Zimbabwean. That's the problem. Not the Zimbabwe. Zimbabwean. Because I just looked it up. Is that what are they called? Yeah, yeah. Zimbabwean Zephyr, which is a light breeze. So your light breeze is Zimbabwe. Which is good because Zimbabwe is probably pretty hot. So a light breeze would feel nice. It's a pleasant... Yeah. Oh, fuck, sir. I better bring up this article. I yeah. forgot we're actually doing a episode episode, right? Yeah, I see. Um, yeah, I think. Huh? Oh, yeah, I didn't tell you what the episode's about. Well, and I mean, what number is this? Mm, good question. This article This article is written by J.A. Fernandez. It's fairly recent, 2019. This is a good friend of ours at LitHub. He's not, I don't know him. Just, uh, from the from the before times, the before times, Daywalker, <laughs> um, thirteen common mistakes in book reviewing and how to avoid them. That's right, it's an episode about reviewing books. You know why I picked this? Wanna? Well, uh, it was the first thing you saw. No, I because I got you know the whole thing that got us canceled like years ago was it started off because I made the erroneous, fucking controversial claim that you should read a book before reviewing it or at least try to read some of the book or at least know what the book's about. Apparently you don't. If you're on Goodreads, uh, people review books. They get one-star review books, reviews to books that they never read. Is that still a thing? Yeah. Because that was years ago. Yeah. uh, Well, I, as an outside observer now, because I barely use Twitter anymore, I saw someone saying something about fucking one-star reviews for uh, books that haven't even been published yet. Oh, Because wow. they've just been, they're going to be published, and it was like a bunch of people were given one-star or five-star reviews for this book that didn't even come out yet. And I'm not just saying, like, the reviews 
for the book, they were also like actually verbally like you know writing up like this book sucks, blah blah blah. And it's like you didn't read it because you're not because you know publishing houses they send out copies for yeah. people to review, but not even that. Like this, it's just not Random even out. people, just people saying like just saying just talking shit for no reason. I don't know if they're trolls. I don't know what their deal is. Uh, so I was looking up like, well, what makes a good review? Because I've read some funny reviews and some other kind of reviews. Uh, like shit reviews. Like we've all read shitty reviews and probably fucking wrote, wrote some, some shitty, shitty reviews. reviews. Um, but I've read some reviews that are so over the top. It's like, okay, is this guy like, is he a failed writer who's reviewing a book and he's using all this fancy sounding shit to just try to like, what is he trying to become a, you know, get a big following for review? Like, why are you doing putting this much effort into a review of a book? Like, I usually just like, yeah, I liked it for this reason, that reason. I didn't like it for this reason, that reason. But people like go hard. It's kind of like the uh, Yelp review episode yeah. of South Park where, you know. So I, I was wondering, like, what what actually makes a good review? Because I never looked that up. And that's probably useful because we do, well, we haven't fucking in like the year or two now. But we used to review comics and other shit like that. I'm just going to jump into the, again, I'm, I'm going to, I'll put the link in the show notes so people can read the article. Because there's like literally 50 things of like paragraphs of intro. And usually the intro I never get much from, you know. Again, you want an article writing tip? You don't, Spencer knows. You don't need much intro because people are just going to look at the list. Yeah. That's all it is on the internet anymore. They just look at the list. So why even have the intro? Because Spencer, who once had a very viral article, he he, he explains what makes the list in the very first paragraph, which nobody read, and then can just shit it all over your list. And I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a shit list, but not, you know... Not that shitty. Well, like their reasons for making it well, shitty yeah. didn't make sense. We're not going into that. Did we ever take that? Did we take that off of the website? I don't remember. It doesn't get any numbers anymore, so maybe we did. Maybe I might have made it private because I got sick of the fucking website <laughs> getting flooded with that dumb shit. Yeah. Because like, we were getting a lot of hate for that, too, and then a lot of people that were on your side fighting the people hating it. Yeah. I'm like, this who is, cares? Yeah, it's dumb. He wrote this in 10 minutes. It's uh, Number one, and again... Which it doesn't really matter because it's not a best to worst list, but you know, descending order keeps yeah, the reader come more. On. You know, thirteen, twelve, yeah. eleven. But this guy starts with one, so though at least it's not one of those um, you see in uh like a lot of times on like a uh, comic book year or like you know pop one. It's like ten see ten reasons for something and nine reasons for why it's not, and they do like that opposite, like you know, uh, oh, that's I terrible. Like that. I hate that. I see a lot of those on uh, BuzzFeed who probably invented that mm. style where it's like, yeah, like one of those things like, why we love Brad Pitt and why he smells. And yeah. It's like, why every other one's like, or it's like a character's like, great characters from Watchmen and yeah. not so great characters. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, one, fucking Dr. Manhattan, two, guy who smells his own farts, three. And it's like, what? I don't remember guy who smells his own farts. It was Rorschach. <laughs> Number one, which this is what turns me off of reviews almost immediately, actually grandiose claims when people just like go into it like this is the greatest book i've ever read my is it is it there buddy beginning a review with a hyperbolic sentiment i've seen openings like arthur x is a writer who does nothing less than tear through the fabric of time to solve the great mysteries of life may sound good but what does it actually mean nothing (laughs) it means you're fucking a pompous ass Additionally, it's grandiose in such a way as to provoke the reader to think of a very short list of authors for whom you could possibly make that claim. A list that does not include author X, who's just published his second novel. So before the first sentence or paragraph is over, the reader is already suspicious of your judgment. Bring those extravagant claims down and make sure that they are clear and defensible. Another aspect of this is breadth of knowledge. If you're going to declare something the best of the year or brilliant beyond imagining, Brilliant beyond imagining. You better have read every other novel released this year and have a record that... Okay, fucking up. Fucking uploaded something. Uh, Something fucking moved. Doesn't matter. What he's saying is you can't say a... Which I always hate this when I read reviews of anything. Movies or anything. Like, best movie of the year. I always see that. It's it's February, bro. Who the fuck said the best movie of the year? Like, say, okay, say it was August or something. Say it's the very end of January. Best movie of the year... Or uh, well, January, but the first yeah. December. I'm fucking dumb. <laughs> so say it's December. Best movie of the year. Okay, have you seen every other movie? Guy who's saying that's the best movie of the year? No, probably not. So I don't. I agree with that. You shouldn't say anything's the best of anything ever. Uh, it's very rare that something could even be in that atmosphere. Number two, lack of clarity. 
Many writers, myself included, this is Jay, not Caleb. Caleb's always clear. Clear and concise. That's my middle name. Caleb, clear and concise James. That's a secret. Not anymore, it's not. Why? Because people know now. That I'm clear and concise? Yeah. I mean, this podcast reached millions of people. It it can. It can. Technically, it can. So anyway, many writers, myself included, are sometimes guilty of linguistic flights of fancy that are sonically and syllab... I see what he's doing here. <laughs> and syllabically... Ah. What we were talking about earlier. Anyway, fabulous, but in fact, term they don't mean anything. He's just saying a bunch of shit that doesn't mean anything, just to sound kind of like what that guy was like doing. When, yeah, well, that's that was he was being, he was being uh, sonically and he's being clever. Is yeah, what he, he's being fucking jerk. Um, yeah, that's you know when you're in school writing essays, that's what you do. To be charitable, the impulse is usually to entertain the reader with surprisingly lovely use of language, and for that, bravo. To the less charitable, it's a nonsensical, that's not the right word, it's a non-consensual, ego-driven effort to force the reader to watch you masturbate your words all over the place. That's where I thought he was going with it, but I was hoping he wasn't. <laughs> when I read the word non-consensual, I was like, oh, don't say masturbate to words, because I've seen that a lot, and when people think they're, like, use something else. That's that's a trope now, that the old, you know, self-flagellation there. In which case, work on those boundaries. A key red flag is when you feel some part of your brain refusing to take a hard look at the sentence or phrase for fear that you may have to change it. These lingering word tangles too often obscure meaning and trap the reader into scanning a sentence seven times just to discern the point you may be trying to make. I find when I read Lit Hub, actually, a lot of times I'm rereading the article because I'm like, what the fuck is he saying? Well, uh, there's any, almost anything literature yeah, almost uh, is a lot of reread. Speaking of fart smellers, that's... Yeah. Yeah. To assess your luscious handiwork, impartially after the initial inspiring flow requires a committed stance against Boulder Dash and Blarney. Oh, I love Blarney. <laughs> That's a good one. I mean, I'm a fan of Boulder Dash, but Blarney, Blarney. top notch. I, I'm going to up this uh, uh, an extra star in my review of this article for the word Blarney. I'm going to use that in my next uh, yeah, so gonna something. going to have to steer that. Oh, I forgot that was a word. A key red flag is when you feel some party. Oh, that's another thing. Don't do in the article is put an excerpt from the set from the uh, paragraph as like a highlighted here. Like oh a quote, yeah. Before you actually say that in the article, you could do it after. So like he says, a key red flag is what he put that before he says that in the article. So I read it twice. I'm not reading it twice, buddy. But I don't even understand if afterward it's like, are you just trying to take up space at that point? <laughs> Usually, but say you just want to re-hit the point, and maybe later on you'd put that as like a highlight. But you did not, and usually that's just in fiction. Like you take a quote from the story yeah. or something. I never don't do that in an article. Just don't do that. I I don't like it. I mean, you can if you want to point something out, but don't do it before you actually say it in the article. What the fuck, buddy? Number three: repetitiveness and redundancy. This typically stems from your impulse to make sure the reader cannot possibly miss the incredibly insightful point you're making. Unfortunately, what the repetition actually signals is your insecurity about the argument, thus undercutting the reader's confidence in you. All right, that's all we need to know about that. Don't be repetitive, duh. Be like, this book is great because the stylistic use of metaphor is awesome. And if you don't like the stylistic use of metaphor, then you probably won't like it in this story because this story uses a lot of stylistic use of metaphor. And then, like, you just go on and on with well, that. It's, uh, I mean, articles, uh, you know, I'm sure you find a lot of things that you shouldn't do as if you would do in your... In your uh, fiction writing. Yes. I'm sure there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, that go in both camps there. Mm. And that would be one of them. I would like to point out that he used Roman numerals for the numbers. Mm. Not a fan. Makes me feel dumb. Yeah. Especially once you get past, like, 10-ish. Yeah. Yeah, that seems stupid. You gotta, you gotta, like, you gotta try to remember, like, what, what do the rest of manias look like? <laughs> <laughs> that's how Spencer, <laughs> that's how Spencer measures his uh, Roman numeral numbers. Like, he uses <laughs> WrestleManias. Not Super Bowls, even. <laughs> Fucking WrestleManias. Uh, so, number four, casual narcissism. There's a curious paradox at play with this one, and I see it all the time. Yes, you're the one reviewing the book. Congratulations! But for goodness sake, you don't need to call attention to it. But ooh, I see this. I saw this a lot with Jerusalem, actually. Like people bragging about how they got through Jer no. Jerusalem. I'm like, fuck you. I don't. You know what? 
It's on my shelf. I'll get to it. Put plainly, get yourself out of the piece. For one thing, unless you're Chimamanda, Nagosi, Adichie, or Michael Chabon, you don't have a status in the lit world that merits readers. And Okay. Uh, yeah, again, nobody needs to know how awesome you are for reading Gravity's Rainbow or Infinite Jest. You know, like, just fucking review the book. House of Leaves. Shut up. That book fucking... Yeah, if I reviewed House of Leaves, I would be like, oh my god, I read House of Leaves. I'm so cool. No, I'd be like, that book is poop. <laughs> Poopies. The stuff that comes out of butts. <laughs> <laughs> Roman numeral number five, or V, for <laughs> vaginas. Over-explication of plot. I might actually have to read this one because I don't know what that means. Oh, I know what it means. It I, means yeah, yeah. The, 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 I think this is... Over-explication is a fucking... Com- compound word, word I've never read out loud or you fucking but yeah just don't write you know the whole plot out as the fucking review this may be an effort to dodge a lack of confidence in your critical capacities or it could be a misapprehension of the critic's mission but writing a review that is entirely plot description is like describing the precise dimensions of a pool to someone without ever allowing them to jump in the water um yeah so don't don't, don't put that, the whole plot I know that's one thing I always struggled with uh not writing the whole plot. Especially when it came to, like, you know, like, the, the comic stuff, because it's, like, mm-hmm. uh, especially when I was doing, like, the single issues, because it's, like, you can only have so many things you can talk about. Yeah. I think that's where we fail when we do books of the month, usually, is until this last one with the devil in the blue dress, I feel like we always, like, wanted to talk about the whole plot. Mm. It's a little different because it's an audio format, but, like, the last, when we did the devil in the blue dress, I made it a point that we didn't talk about plot that much we talked about everything else that we liked uh, i think that's a better way to go roman numeral six or v1 excessive length <laughs> uh yeah we don't have to obviously you don't want oh he did it again with the fucking quote uh wait till i get there buddy so uh yeah you don't want to have a thirteen thousand word review on like if your review is long like say you're reviewing a short story and your review is longer than the short story you, you're doing it wrong yeah you messed up just you know uh, why well, do that too like i'll read reviews for certain works that are like really dense like some yuki mishima books or something where it's like oh i know i definitely didn't get the meaning of a lot of this i want to read somebody's intake you know on what they got out of it but then you go into it and it's like okay after like the 15th paragraph i don't really care what this guy has to say anymore Roman numeral number seven, V2. I don't have to say those out loud, do I? I V11. VII. Yeah, VII. We're fucking doing it wrong. Yeah, it's V. I hate Roman numerals. So, number seven, nonsensical arguments. This is not the same thing as lack of clarity, though they can overlap. One involves employing unnecessarily florid language and galloping sentence construction to obscure a perfectly good point, while the other was never a worthy point to begin with. A good way to catch yourself up on these is to have a second reader play devil's advocate on your prose. Kind of like with debate prep, you want your piece to have answered preemptively any potential question and challenges from a reader. I feel like if you're writing a review, you should not be considering it prose. Like, I feel like that's yeah. probably, uh, that's a wrong, uh, that's a red flag in yeah. my book. Like if you're, if your review could be considered prose, then unless you're writing a review for like a magazine or something, I, that might be kind of too much, you know, it might be a little too kind of, you, you didn't understand the assignment. <laughs> Rome number eight, <laughs> Come on. number eight, V I I I. Self-flattering literary references. This is one that always uh, reminds me of the Gilmore Girls because they just like sometimes they hit, but then sometimes literary references is just like they just want us to know this character smart. Like nobody brings up like some of the things. Well, I, I, at least with the Golden Girls, I was always just thought it was like they were so old that they think like, that was not their... the Golden Girls, the Gilmore oh, Girls. Oh. Not the Golden Girls. I don't remember literary references in the Golden Girls. I don't Girls. know. I was just going to say that they'd be old enough that, that they would just do no. references for them. Yeah, because they knew Shakespeare. Yeah. They're old. old. I get it. This is a particular crutch of younger and newer writers, and it usually stems from an impulse to compensate for insecurity about why you've ever been allowed to write this review, or God forbid, it's because you honestly believe your hot stuff in the lit world. Okay, that's too much. No. Uh, does he use examples that I would like? So I would suggest that you avoid throwing in those references to Heraclitus 
I don't think his name is Heraclitus. <laughs> you, you know I suck at Greek names. Heraclitus? Uh, maybe that'd be better. Yeah, you were right the first time, bro. Heraclitus. <laughs> I've never heard of Heraclitus. <laughs> Somehow he didn't make it in the Disney movies. H-E-R-A-C-L-I-T-U-S. Her- Heraclitus. <laughs> Oh, God, I know that's got to be so wrong. There's no way there's a guy named Heraclitus. <laughs> I'm going to say Heraclitus or something. <laughs> Why are we so juvenile? <laughs> it just came out that way. So I suggest that you avoid throwing in references about Harry Clit and Anna Akamotova unless you're sure they're organic. Heraclitus, really? <laughs> We're going to look that up. I need to know the pronunciation. I'll do that off air. Fans <laughs> of the show, one fan and rather random listeners. who We might just have to throw that in at the end. Like <laughs> yeah, That might be the, the, that's the blooper reel. I don't even know who Anna Akamatova, unless you're, okay. So yeah, I don't, uh, there's times, of, just like jokes. If you could throw it in where it fits, fine. But most of the time, you're probably going to just come off as like, you know, again, smelling your own flatulence. You're just, oh, yeah, he's really had to bring up the Great Gatsby in a review about a Stephen King book. Like, no, he did not. He just wanted to sound cool by throwing in Jay Gatsby or, you know, Anna Karenina or fucking whatever else you can think of. What's 1X or what's IX? Is that 9? Yeah. Limiting assumptions. Increased diversity and more equitable representation in the lit world are unquestionably positive developments. But even if, for instance, a woman has Heraclitus... (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But even if, for instance, a woman has written the novel and it's about women's issues and you're in fact a woman or woman identified, do not address your review as if no man will ever read the book or the review and obviously vice versa. The same goes for queer lit. Never assume your audience. That's that's the main thing. Don't I don't agree that you should write for everyone or a specific group. I think you should just write the story you want to tell. That's my personal preference. But obviously, if you're trying to get public, then this goes to just writing. Not well. I was gonna say, what about for reviews though? Like, well, you kind of want to. You know, well, you review. Wanna... You're just reviewing. Like, say a book. You're just reviewing the book, yeah. not the audience. You're not reviewing the audience, so you don't need your review tailored to the audience. If you're specifically reviewing, say you're a good re- Goodreads reviewer and you have a group of friends who read your reviews and that's how you guys get off on your whatever community, like then that's fine. Okay, now you're tailored to those people, uh, but just know other people who are going to randomly read your review might feel a certain kind of way about it, which it really doesn't matter on that. Uh, this, I'm assuming this is for more professional reviews. Like if you're trying to be an actual reviewer that gets paid for your reviews or you rev- have a website or something. Just like you, your fiction or anything you do, probably not tailor it to specific people and not to everyone either. Just write the story you want to tell. So if you were doing the review, I would say review it for yourself. And then, you know, that would be your truest feelings on the work. That's how I would go about it. Number 10, structural seizures. Creating- no. What is it? Structural no. seizures. X. X. I thought we were done doing that. You just did. You just. Well, did I did I it for X. the last one because I did, I didn't know what that was. Uh, Creating a pleasing, energizing flow for a piece of writing is a fine art, and book criticism has its own natural patterns. Bookending your piece anecdotally and thematically with the kicker that cleverly calls back to your opening is wise and satisfying, while front-loading plot exposition and reserving the back half mainly for critical analysis is a good blunt structure. By all means, be creative, but the key is for the plot concerns to merge and re-emerge with the critical concerns in a way that propels them all forward equally and efficiently in a single, coherent, current... Uh, okay, it just keeps going on. Um, Essentially, find a decent format for your review. Like, if you, if you want to do, like, a clever review where you do your beginning paragraph is a callback to the end like the end paragraph calls back to the beginning you know do that but like just make sure you're not all over the place basically you're not just like doing a specific thing here but then all of a sudden now you're doing it the like you switch from doing a standard review to the review from the point of the character to back to standard to now all of a sudden you're doing the review as if you were the author of the book like you know people do these 
clever things where they like to do, but stick with it. So say you're going to be like, you know, I'm reviewing The Great Gatsby and I'm going to review it as if I'm Nick from The Great Gatsby. Okay, that's fine. But don't all of a sudden jump from like Nick who's reviewing the book to you, the actual reviewer reviewing the book. That's too much. I'd also say that that would also go in like how you were talking about the format of like uh, kind of like, you know how we have our reviews of like, yeah. you know, we have like certain, we have it broken down. So well, like Ashley's we have, drunken book reviews, like yeah. he has it broken down into sections of how he does it. And he sticks with those every time. And that were people like those. Uh, number X, I 11 inconsistent pronouns. Ooh, ooh, mm. ooh. Mm. see your judgmental face. You fucking boomer. Uh. <laughs> I don't like change. Back in my day, use was a he or use was a she. There was no they. <laughs> There's always been a they. Uh, it's just not how they use it now necessarily. But, you know, things change. Language changes. I like how the dog was pounding on the door yeah. to get down here so hard just to pass out right next yeah, to me. He's just, he's what was the purpose of that, bro? As long as he's happy. Yeah. In making reference to the potential reader of the novel and reader of the review, too often the reader, the reviewer uses a mix of pronouns that is disorienting. If you're sometimes referencing you and sometimes we and other times one and somewhere else reader or readers, it's sloppy and confusing. And then there's the dreaded I, which we talked about earlier. Um, I skipped that part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I get that. That does make sense. Like, I that's something I never really thought about. Uh, but I, I probably just like, if I review something, I just stick with whatever, like I'm not jumping around. Uh, I think for the most part, when you reviewed stuff, it was just always like you were reviewing it as like your opinions. And then if you were going to refer to somebody, it was just the re- like the person yeah. reading the review, but you never say, Oh, we, they, you know, you didn't jump around too much. Number X I I. What is that? Spencer? 12. Yes. 12. Lack of criticism. That's a simple one. If you're going to read a book, which you usually try to like, even when we do like book reviews on the book, like we did a devil in the blue dress and we both love that book, but you're like, no, not to just give it all praises. Here's some of the things we didn't like about it. Like just be balanced if you can. Now there are going to be things that you read that you just like everything about it. Mm -hmm. That's probably very rare, but usually you can find something that you don't like. But I think the main thing is some people, especially if it was like, say it's a, a friend's book or something and they're doing a review, yeah. they're get, they're afraid to upset them or hurt their feelings. So they're not going to give an honest criticism. They're just going to like fluff it up and try uh, to make it look good. Another thing that we were involved in before was like the indie review culture. It was the same lump with that other dumb shit was uh people spamming reviews with one star hate because they didn't like the author and then people spamming with five stars when neither of them read the books. Mm, yeah. It's like, fuck you both. And then the people that gave it five stars actually left a review. It was like so over the top. It's like, okay, did you really think this is the greatest thing ever written? Some indie book? Probably not. You probably are just saying this because you're friends with the author. Maybe tone it down and be like, like it's very rare. I re- like even like Nicholas Obergon. I love Nicholas Obergon. Yeah. Talk to him all the time. He's a great guy. I didn't give his books five-star reviews like the two I read. I gave him four stars because I might have gave Sins of Scarlet a five-star because I really like that book. But like Blue Light Yokohama, I gave it four because there were certain things I didn't care about. Yeah. You know, Like not everything's perfect. It's very rare I give something a perfect review. Um, and even in the five-star review, if I actually left a, you know, like wrote a review for it, I probably still would have been like, hey, you know, this maybe I didn't like or something, you know, certain things. But Because, yeah. I mean, it could even still be like, Five stars because you could still enjoy it that much, but there yeah. could also be things that it could be. I don't think upon. I've ever read anything where there was one hundred percent things I didn't. You know, I liked everything well, about it. The perfect example of this was just the uh, the recent Spider Man movie. Yeah, there's plot holes and things that make no sense, but that's still like a five star movie for me. Like you know what yeah. I mean? Just because I enjoyed it, no matter what was wrong with it. Like you know, so. You know, and it, so it depends on what kind of view you're also doing. If you're going to be, but you might want to put that bias out there. Like, you know, hey, yeah. for me, this is what I think of it. Yeah. It could vary for you or anybody else, depending on, you know, your personal tastes and preferences. But the main thing is you can't, like, don't even bother writing a review if you're afraid to criticize. Yeah. 
Now, don't be one like I would suggest not being one of those people who only do negative reviews because that's another thing I don't understand. People who only review things they don't like. Yeah. Why are you focus on things you don't like? If I review something that I didn't like, it was because I went into it hoping I was going to like it. Yeah. Some people just specifically read genres and things they know they're not going to like just so they could have you know their shit take on it and rant about it and whatever other negative people they're associated with will talk about how much they hate everything. Because chances are, if it's something that I didn't like, I probably wouldn't do a review about it. I never review things I don't like. Like, on Goodreads, I just mainly catalog anymore, so I'll just give star reviews just so I know if I, you know... That you read it. Yeah, and I was like, what my rating was, and if I would ever want to go back to it. Every once in a while, I feel like doing a review, but I've never... I think I did one review. It was a free book I got from like the Amazon free program that I reviewed that I didn't like. And after I did, that was like one of the first things that I think we did for DPW. And after I did that, I was like, I mean, because I was just mad that I spent my time reading the book. But I was, I was just thinking, it was like, who's this really benefiting? Like, yeah, I get it. Somebody might read this review and then they'll be like, oh, I'm not going to read that book. And I might personally think, oh, yeah, that's good. They're not going to waste their time. But what if they really like that book? Yeah. So now I'm just steering them away from liking, you know, something they might like just because they read my review. No, I think not saying you should review everything you like because if you're actually doing, let's say you review every book you read. Okay, obviously some of the things you're going to read yeah. that you're you're not going to like. So review it. Be honest. Be critical. Everything you need to do, but just know that you should always go into a book hoping at least yeah. that you're going to like it. You know, have a positive attitude. If you're going to a book thinking you're going to hate it, like this David Foster Wallace book, I when I got it, I was like, I hope I really like it. Like, that's what I want out of it. So if and I don't like it, out. yeah, so if I read it and it's dog shit and we do this episodes about it, I'm just going to be like, yeah, like like uh, House of Leaves is a great example. If it wasn't for the podcast, like, there would be no review of any kind for it. I just like, I didn't think that book was that great. Like so, would you have even finished it if it wasn't for the podcast episodes? No, no, I probably would have abandoned that. Uh, like Blood Marid didn't even. We did it for the podcast, and I still didn't finish. Well, yeah, I just couldn't. Uh, but I didn't go and go. I didn't write a review for it. Like talking about it on the air is different because that's the episode we can discuss what we didn't like about it, and we still did a very constructive way of doing that. We like went over every point of why we didn't like it, but why you know people still might find it. Like we made it so like even if you. We didn't like the book, but we made it so people would hear us be like, well, I will give it a try still. Yeah. Number 13, conflict of interest. My bullshit detector goes up periodically when I note biographical, educational, or publications, details, and a reviewer's history that show curious crossovers with the author who work here. Okay, this is pretty much saying, like, if you like all books about communism and Marxism and, you know, all that stuff, like, that's in your history, and then all of a sudden you're writing a negative review about a book about capitalism. Well, yeah, <laughs> obviously this person's not going to be for capitalism if they're a communist. You know, that just kind of makes sense. If you uh, only seem to like books and review positively books that are very machismo westerns and stuff like that, and then I see you doing like a sci-fi romance review and you hate it, well, yeah, because that's probably not the genre you go for. Which not saying you can't review things you don't like, but as a reviewer, you have to know that if, like I was saying earlier, if it's something you know you're not going to like, like you want to go into every book like hoping you're going to like it, but if it's really trying something that you know you're not going to like, it's kind of a dick move to review that book when you already knew beforehand that that's not the, something you're going to enjoy. Like, um, I mean, unless if your goal is to go and try it and see if it can change your mind. But maybe. Th- th- that's the thing, though, and you didn't like it. Okay, and you can write a review stating like, hey, I be up front. Just be like, hey, this isn't my draw. I don't like erotica, but I wanted to give it a chance. You know, I've had bad experiences in the past, but I want to try it out. So I read this book hoping that maybe it would change, and it didn't because I still don't like erotica. And like that, that gives the reader, like, oh, this guy doesn't like erotica, so I can go into his review knowing he doesn't like erotica. But if you're, just leave that part out, it's just like, this book was shit because the sex scenes were gross. And like, well, that's not your genre. Like, now you're lying to the people pretty much. You're lying by deception. You're lying by omission. You're not telling them up front that you don't like something. or so, Like, say you don't like sci-fi, and now you're reviewing a sci-fi book. Yeah, you're not going to like it probably because that's not your genre, but you are here reviewing it and not telling the people you don't like that genre. So now they're just taking your word, thinking that you are a sci-fi fan who for some reason 
didn't like this book, which gives it more validity. People think, oh, this guy loves sci-fi and he hates this book. It must not be a good book. When in reality, you don't like sci-fi, so you you just you're lying. You're yeah, lying. You, you probably wouldn't like that even if it's great. Big fucking phony. So anyway, that was our episode on book reviews. Yay. 13, blah, blah. And I, I'll put that in the show notes if I remember. For Book Club, we are reading Saga. Just for anybody who's curious. It's our actual mm-hmm. physical book club. So yeah. we're not doing it on the podcast. You're not invited. But I'm sure we'll talk about the book if I like it. Yeah. Have you read it yet? No, not yet. I'll read it next week. Um, Yeah, it's next Friday. Yeah, fuck. Mar- February went by quick. If you want to check out some of our reviews... Spencer has a bunch of comic reviews that are pretty old, so I don't know how much well, those are going to help. Yeah. But Ashley has his drunken book reviews, which most of those are been recently. They, they would they would actually probably be good examples of things not to do for your review, probably. Your reviews, not Ashley's reviews. No, right? yeah, my, yeah, my, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, my old comic yeah. book reviews would probably be good examples of things to probably not to do with your reviews. Um, Ashley's reviews I really like because I like the format he picked. Like the what he like he you know he has like the Hangover, the Cork mm-hmm. in the Bottle. Like he he talks about like uh, he breaks down. He pretty much follows like that article pretty well. I think uh, he's a good reviewer. I don't know why he doesn't submit reviews to places and get paid for it. But well, he also likes to like review like weird things, right? Like like almost kind of like your inebriated things, but on, like on his own kind of. Yeah, I feel like he might have actually did a review for Gutter in the Grave, and that's why I read it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and then yeah, because yeah, he did a review for it or something about yeah, it. Yeah, he did a review for it, and that made me want to read it. Because and then it was so good, then you and then, then so you bought a Seatrich copy. Yeah, uh, so, so reviews work, I guess. Anyway, I even though you don't remember anything about the book, yeah, that was, that's more fault of the book than it. We talked about that. We only talked about that again. So you go to drunkpenwriting.com for that. You can follow us on Twitter at drunkpenwriting and Instagram and Facebook at drunkpenwriting where we post saucy memes and such. Uh, anything, any parting words, any knowledge you want to drop on the listeners before we go? No. I just want to say, Spencer, Heraclitus. <laughs> <laughs>